you're talking about being friends with white people. Yeah. And once he knows you're friends with other white people, then he can be your friend. Yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah. I'm safe. Safe! <laughs> My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKees, and I'm here with Don Griffin, Jr. <laughs> Don Griffin, Jr. It's like that. There's a song, isn't it, where where you go, peanut, peanut butter, jelly. jelly. That Your junior is the jelly. Jelly. Yeah, I learned, <laughs> we learned that at uh, marching band camp. Yes, we did. We did. I remember that. Uh huh. We were part. I think we were part of the last marching band camp that was off campus. That's what I was just gonna say. Yes, now yes. they just stand on the parking lot for a week I and know. get a stroke. Yeah, because of our group who loved life we and drugs and alcohol, probably off campus. Yeah, I did not. I know you didn't, but <laughs> some of us did as a group. I was just so surprised. It was like becoming a Methodist. It's like what we can do that. <laughs> That's funny. Like, <laughs> sorry. One of the things my dad wanted me to do was chill a little bit about that. Apparently, he was really annoyed with me for being super upset about about what, like knowing that people in the marching band were breaking rules. Breaking and he was like, law. "You're not going to have any friends law. if you keep." Oh, he wanted you to chill on that. Like, if you had, he didn't bad... want me to do it. But he also didn't want me to be, like, perturbed about it. Okay. Oh, he wants you to be cool about it. Like, yeah. like oh, there's kids doing drugs. That's, <laughs> that's for them, but not for me. <laughs> that but... is not what I mean. <laughs> so what did you mean? <laughs> He's going to, like, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to get that right, I don't think. That's It's okay. hard to explain. Anyway, this is our first podcast of the second season that is just the two of us. Our very, our, like our opening podcast of this season was the extraordinary visit from Maureen Walker. Mm -hmm. And actually, I ran into someone this morning who was at the church service that Maureen did the next day. If you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend you can find it at uubloomington.org. Go back to the archives of the sermons for January 19th, and I liked the 915 one better, but you may enjoy the 1115 one better. If you just want to hear Maureen's part, it's usually about, what, 25 minutes into it? Mm -hmm. And she opened it. What was really cool for me in particular was that she opened it by talking about RCT as a therapist. Hmm. And, like, how it impacted her her therapy practice in that she talked about, like, when she first started being a therapist that she super-duper wanted to be very good at it, which mm -hmm. I, you know, I think we all can relate to that. Um, but that how that manifested was, and she knew that being good at it meant that you really understood what people were going through. So once she had some idea of what they were going through, she was very excited for them to shut up. 
so that she could demonstrate. Oh wow! <laughs> how much she understood all the skills that she has. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I think we all want to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and having her lay it out that way, I thought was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it made me want to have an RCT therapist. <laughs> totally big time. Anyway. I ran into someone this morning downtown who was there who was like, I know about these things. I've seen lots of talks and hers was the best that I've ever seen. That was really fun to hear. Mm -hmm. And particularly knowing that Maureen is officially coming back for our summit in May. Oh, wow. So block off May 14th through 17th. I wish we could get all of our friends, all of our RCT friends. I I believe LaShawn is coming. Okay. Um, I have initiated talking to uh, Dr. Finger, right? Yep. Dee Dee about coming back. Love her. Um, I am excited to, there's a, I think a pretty good chance that Amy Banks will be here. I don't know Amy Banks. You haven't gotten to meet her yet, but she wrote that book up there, The Wired to Connect. Okay. Just listening to her explain how RCT and um, like the neurobiology of connection go together Mm -hmm. is amazing so that's gonna be cool we'll like have half the rct community here yeah i want more people to be in on this because it's such good Mm -hmm. such rich stuff and you guys kind of let me in on it i'm probably the gag you know they're like (laughs) you know that black dude in Bloomington that just that amy lets say whatever the hell he wants to say (laughs) I, i think that those who have had a chance to listen to this Love you. Oh, is that right? And since Maureen's met you, of course, she loves you Uh because how could she not? Sure. So now she goes back and she says, no, he's really a good person. He's just a little touched. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's what she says. God bless him. God bless him. (laughs) I have never heard her say that about you. What? God bless him? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. And I've never heard LaShawn say that about you either. And I have heard LaShawn do that. Oh, bless bless their heart. Bless oh, his heart. really? Okay. In a okay. Yeah, in, yeah. in that way, that means mm, you have some learning to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't heard her do that about you. Well, so. that's positive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, if you're all listening, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to Bloomington. <laughs> so right. So we thought that uh, we would sort of talk about what we learned in the first season and what our hopes and dreams might be for the second season of our podcast. Okay. You go first. Okay. Well, like the one thing that pops out for me that I've been chewing on this week a lot is from our conversation with Maureen last week. So it probably doesn't even count as the first season, but the one thing that was really useful for me is when Maureen talked about people getting addicted to their ego in such a way that it's like like so rigidly connected and invested in their own identity that having a conversation that might challenge their own internal description of who they are is the same as trying to reason with someone who's like just this side of alcohol poisoning. Hmm. Because when you're arguing with someone who's super intoxicated you're not really arguing with them because they aren't in their right mind. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just liked that analogy that you could get so stuck on your identity, whether that identity is 
I am not a racist, which I think is a lot of white liberals identity. Like they grew up being like, I'm not a racist. I would never eat at a restaurant that makes black people sit separately from white people. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a racist, which is sort of the idea I grew up with is that I'm not racist because I think slavery was wrong, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's so scary to let go of that identity and say, okay, maybe I do racist things even though I don't want to because Mm -hmm. I haven't learned that that's not racist yet. Right. I haven't learned how to do it right yet. And, and everyone has to keep learning. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you could be so invested in that, that it would be like talking to someone who's not in their right mind has, I've just been chewing on that a lot this week. Okay. Yeah. And what that looks like, how does that change our conversations? Hmm. I think I'd have to look more within. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have to look more within because I'm not necessarily racist. Right. But that doesn't mean that I don't have some bigoted views on things. Uh-huh. Whether it's sexism, whether it's LGBTQ things, whether mm-hmm. it's... So I have to check, you know what I'm saying? Like, as you learn and folks learn about uh, racism, you know, I have to take some of those same ideas and apply it to preconceptions of what I think, even though I don't think that I'm sexist or I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'm, I think I'm a woke guy, but I'm not. I mean, you, you understand well, what I'm think... saying? I, I could, I could be more, I could be more <laughs> woken up <laughs> on all those things. Is it possible that the more woke you think you are, the less, the more closed minded you are more... about, uh, about change? I don't know. I, I, I... I think so. I, I even think that in business, I know that, I know there was a time where I was like, man, I am really good. Like, <laughs> yeah. I am the best damn real estate agent ever. Is and that not I true? know my, it is. <laughs> um, but, but, but no, there were, but there was a time where I just thought that I knew because I, I would comb through research. I would know every every little thing about every single neighborhood, right? Yeah. So I thought, right? And so I had preconceived ideas of what a neighborhood was. Uh-huh. Or the peop the type of folks that lived there or its appreciation and and uh-huh. and, and this was all kind of I, I began to realize that I, I was missing out on I remember a neighborhood that I thought, oh, the resale value was just terrible over there. Mm-hmm. And the and the people really love this neighborhood. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and check it out. So I go ahead and I redo the numbers. And I'm like, holy cow, like these things are appreciating at 20%. And like they, they, they sell at 99% of asking. So it became a, I, I was like right then and there, I was like, you know, I don't know it all. <laughs> everything is always, and everything yeah. is always changing. A person who is smart, I realized that a, a person that is intelligent will continue to question their own ideas. That's an important part of learning. You have to know that you don't know. A smart person knows that they do not know everything. And they, ne- and they never should. Because mm-hmm. things change. And you should change with it. Yeah. And I know that for me, that comes into play a lot when... 
Um, Because I will notice like my own ego getting bigger when I'm meeting, particularly when I'm first meeting with a client and I want them to feel better. I want them to know that they're on the right track Mm -hmm. and that they're in the hands of someone who's going to make it all better. But I know that that's not how therapy works. But I really, I wish that it worked that way so that I could give that to people when they walk through the door. And then my ego starts getting really involved in sort of like Maureen was talking about, like I want to make sure that they... Uh, they know that I know. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I do that, then I start locking into views on that person based on like appearances or based on the first few things out of their mouth. And what I have to do is like deliberately and regularly push that aside and ask what's happening right now. Like what what can I learn right hmm. now? Where are my assumptions getting in the way of really understanding what's happening? Which I feel like I shouldn't, like it feels a little risky to share that because then people are going to be like, oh, she's going to prejudge me as soon as I walk in. But I, that's how I don't, that's like how I keep an eye on that behavior. I, but I, I actually, I think, unfortunately, that's kind of your job though, right? I mean, you have to kind of figure out where people are coming from. Right, you but know? if I if I lock in, then that can if you I lock, lock in, in and let go, yeah, you can you lock to. in and then let go? Yes, yeah, it's, it's like you have to have an idea and then be willing to let go. Like you don't really hold it; you just touch it. Yeah, and and sometimes it's useful then when you have that idea to sort of present it and say, "I wonder if this is something that's going on for you," and be ready to. Let, let it fly out the window when they say, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's mm-hmm. not what's going on with me. Um, and then be willing to say, start fresh. Okay, so let's, let me ask a few more questions or let me understand this better. Wow. You but could it's do even my, better You could actually I, do my job. You could actually do my job. The real estate? Yes, that's what, that's what, that's what we do. That's what a good realtor does. Is listen. Is listen. Yeah, it's the listening. You know, and you have preconceived ideas. Yeah, you, you want to, and you ask questions. You sit there and you ask questions that they haven't asked themselves before. Mm-hmm. So why do you, why are you going to get a bigger house? You know, why, you know, you, you pro, have them probe questions. Because they may actually need a smaller house and they're not asking themselves the right questions. Yeah, that way you find them something that they love. That they love and that fits for that next chapter in their lives. Because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to yeah. get them, not really trying to sell them a house or a property. You're trying to get them to the next chapter in their lives. Make it easier. Yeah. You know what I learned? What'd you learn? I've learned that conversation, the idea that our conversation is over, In an, I don't know how to explain it, but we could talk about the same thing over and over again and and have a change like like from the first conversation Mm, we've had it's it's evolved yes it has our understanding about things have evolved and we could actually come back to one of the first things we talked about and have learned other things or have came back and said well i'm not so sure about what i said i'm not so you know it's kind of gray now or that would be a great exercise because 
um, when I go back and listen to the podcast, I'm all like the one I'm least comfortable with is the first one. And the reason I'm the least comfortable with it is I'm defending a racist in it with the idea that he has a good heart. And I think at that time, what I thought was I couldn't like he had to, I had to defend him because I couldn't stay connected to him if he wasn't on the path to overcoming his racism. And in my mind, that pu- no, cause the puppy's agreeing with you. Okay. Okay. So it's okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they're just like my backup chorus. Um, so in my mind, our connection was helping him be less racist. And I didn't want to abandon that idea. And I, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. I was certain afterward that saying he had a good heart was a dumb thing to say. And this is harder now because he actually died over the course of our podcast. Oh. Was he? I don't remember. Was he related to you? Or no. Was he... No, just a guy that I met <laughs> that, okay. that was super friendly and that just made connections with pretty much everyone he met. Like he had this whole day where he would go from place to place and... Talk, you know, like he talked to the person at Sam's Club, and you know, like he had a, a list, and I was on that list. Like he talked to me at the gym, uh-huh. but he didn't talk to black people. He did. I imagine they experienced the connection with him differently than I did. Maybe though. not. Yeah, I think they probably did, because oh. at, at least the one regular one, it didn't last. Like he stopped. Anyway, when I think of that, and I think of what of our conversation last week. And some of the stories that Maureen shared and uh, the listener questions about like creating silence or creating room for questioning, along with a season of you and I talking, I think we got more and more to the core of who we are as we're talking. And Mm -hmm. so, and that allowed me to feel things more deeply that I might not have been able to, like, I would have known on a cognitive level, hey, I'm pretty sure I read on Medium that that's racist. But to be able to integrate that and to feel it, to have it, like, become a feeling thought mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than just a intellectual exercise. For me, that's the big piece that I've learned is, is to feel it for you, too. Like, and, th- and then that makes me much more likely to act it makes me much more likely to to investigate, to question my own I, ideas. I see. So before, it's kind of a, yeah, he's a racist, but he could, he seems like he's a nice person. But now it's, hey, this guy doesn't like my friend Don Griffin. Or might say something that would hurt Don's feelings. Yeah. I think. Because he would probably experiencing himself as really liking you is my guess oh really okay oh yeah he would have you he, actually you two probably would have really gotten along because you would have talked about like engines and stuff oh, so, right. yeah well that's the whole the whole idea of finding and and that's i don't think that's a battle for ever everyone can't do that and there's some days that i can't do it mm-hmm. that i can't find that i'm just tired it's been a long day i've i mean there's there's days where it's just too long of a day like it's just and you don't have time to to be that that bridge. You know yeah. what I mean? 
You but being a there, bridge is something you do out of the goodness of your heart, not... Yeah, but no, I can't do it every day. Yeah. But there's some people, like, um, there's a lady at the farmer's market. She's a black lady. She's been in town for years and uh-huh. does history uh, with the, you know, that is involved with the uh, Monroe County Historical Society and mm-hmm. uh, has done a lot of things, kind of a historian. And something put it on her heart that she was going to engage with Sarah Dye. And really? so she, she she has conversations with Sarah Dye. She thinks that she can change her, change her heart by continuing to talk to her and uh, uh, tell her positive things or just try to talk to her like a human being. And that's, I, I mean, that's great, but that's not for everyone. Right. I mean, yeah, I I'll, guess be, it's I'll be honest. Thing. I was there. I was there at the, the the day that I decided to touch all of their <laughs> vegetables. That was the day that she was. I, I saw her over there talking to. I said, um, "Can you? Can you?" And I was trying to get her to leave. Sarah died. Like, <laughs> like, come with me. I was like, "Come There's on!" With, I was like, "She's a smell. she's an idiot." I was like, "She's an idiot." Come on, let's go. And she was she did she didn't have it. She was just like ignoring me. Like I'm I'm on a mission to talk to this lady. And finally, I just said, "Okay, that's her. That's her thing. That's her mission." And is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. If that is her. It, it's. I think it would be very wrong if she had a white friend that was like, "Hey, I have this idea. Why don't you go talk to?" this person and prove her wrong through love mm-hmm. that like, that's not something that should be put on, on someone, on no, someone. It, it shouldn't be. But the fact that this is her idea and, um, and she didn't ask me to help her do it. She didn't ask anybody else to do it. Mm-hmm. This is, so this is on her and, and you know what? She may get through. Trauma begets trauma. That hurt people hurt people. And that that's true. Like, that's just true. And that the way to end a cycle of violence is through nonviolence. Like, I don't think you can end violence by using violence. I don't think you can end hate by using hate. And I think at the beginning of our journey, I had a hard time owning that belief that is really a deep-seated part of who I am and really feeling committed to anti-racism work. I couldn't make those two things fit. And now I feel like I have to do a disclaimer that I'm not, like I'm just speaking for me in how I make meaning around it. And I am definitely aware that people I support and people I admire will use different ways of getting there. So having said that, I couldn't figure out how to hold on to my, or not hold on to, but at least remember the core of nonviolence that is part of who I want to be and not getting run over by violent people in that. And so part of it clicked, you know, like over the, over the year of really deep conversations with you and Mm -hmm. being able to feel the connection and the sameness of a lot of our struggles. Part of the way that it, to me, it felt like it came together last week when we got to talk with Maureen about it. And in reading her book, I can honor both of those things 
And me now, if I could go back to that me at the beginning of our podcast and I'm walking around with this friend of mine, I think I would be more likely to be explicit in my reservations rather than to be sort of roundabout. Like I was always trying to be super friendly in calling him out because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. But I think it might have been useful for me to say, when you say that, I think of my good friend who is black and I think none of what you're saying applies to him. And I, and I wonder if you'd be willing to explore that with me. Rather than, oh, he, he, that's sort of racist, which is, I think, where I usually went. I see. I think I had a tendency to externalize racism and to say, you know, people say you shouldn't say that. Rather than to say, when you say that, it hurts me because I, I want a world that doesn't marginalize people. I want a society that is deeply connected to all of its people and the narrative that you're using in this story doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. It puts people down, and this is how I can see it. I yeah, think you, I would you be would better have, at You would have it came now. up out, I mean, would you still have a relationship with him, or would you have said, I don't appreciate what you're saying, I don't appreciate your views, therefore? No, I think I could just say, I don't appreciate what you're saying, full stop, and see what happened. I I guess it's possible that he might have been like, okay, well then I don't want to talk to you because I'm too uncomfortable with you disagreeing with me. But I think it's much more likely that he would have said, oh, you young kids today, I don't understand. Tell me more. And we we might have had a deeper conversation and it might have even helped spread anti-racism into areas that it isn't necessarily going. Like, I know I did that with with him when he would say homophobic things because I would, I would say, I can't, I can't let you say that my son is gay. And it took me a while to work up to that. Cause it, I was scared. Really? Yes. I, it's hard for me to confront people. Like I have to work really hard to do yeah, that. See, and I would have, because your son is gay mm-hmm. and because I, and because I have friends who are gay, I think, would have told him how I felt right then and there. I did react like in the moment I reacted. I said that's super homophobic and No, I would have said me, you would have said that's super homophobic I'd be like that's fucked up dude get the (laughs) fuck away from me or I'm gonna hit you. (laughs) No I did not threaten to hit him. Well I can't I'm a business person I can't but that's what I'm thinking (laughs) but I would have probably used the rest of it but that's me but I, I think maybe that's me before me and you started talking Oh, that's interesting. So, like, both of us have moved. We've moved. I still sometimes feel, and I, I still feel this way, I, I feel that we all have our lanes. Like, I still feel like it's okay for you to to be nonviolent. That's who you are. And I think mm-hmm. you need to fight injustice in a nonviolent way. Mm-hmm. There has to be those that are out there changing Yes. But here's the thing, it's we have to spend so much time changing the people who actually think that they they are woke right yes. now. Yeah, we've got some definite we, work to do there. So 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 just them alone we still need the warriors. Yes. We still need the Jada Bs out there. Absolutely. And that's do you why understand I, what I mean. That's yeah. why I led with the disclaimer or at least I went to it 
pretty quickly in there because I that's who I was thinking of as someone that I deeply admire mm-hmm. and that I am so grateful is in our community because we need that. Yeah. Last Sunday, it was Maureen during the sermon. And then it was sort of funny because they had like an RSVP thing. And I think they had, I don't know, like 50 people RSVP'd mm-hmm. to come to Jada's thing. Jada's thing. Okay. And it was standing room only. It was packed. Yeah, I heard great things. Yeah, I think we had coffee on Monday. But it was so so we and her fantastic. had coffee right after. So so and I didn't even have a chance to talk about that with her. But it was and and she was amazing. And people there were enough people in the crowd to sort of carry the message for the people that might have been like, oh, you're saying it in a mean way. Please be nicer. And I don't think there were many of those there but i think there were enough people there that were like yes we need to hear this we need this that that attitude was contagious mm-hmm. malcolm x never hit anyone you know the, everyone keeps thinking that he was a violent man again i don't want to send the message that we should be coddling racists or that we should be loving them out of their racist behavior because that's not what Maureen was talking about in in applying RCT to this. Maureen was talking about having compassion, which you can do and still be insisting on better behavior. Like she she had a couple stories where people were called out on racism, but they were it was done so in a way so that they had room to make change and weren't like backed into a corner. Mm-hmm. Like the story, and 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 she also was clear that that's not how she would have necessarily been able to do it. But I keep going back to that story of the woman in the gas station being, you know, bonded with by the white woman mm-hmm. owning the convenience store and talking about how black people are around there, and then trotting out her yeah. employee to prove her point, which like. And that, and the white woman being paralyzed in that moment and not knowing what to say, and then the ideas that that Maureen offered, which really were just about creating space for questioning that behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's not a matter of nodding and smiling and getting in the car and complaining about what a racist that woman is. It's a matter of authentically challenging racism when you see it using tools like the one true thing that still allows a spaciousness around it for that person to change because ultimately isn't that what we want mm-hmm. i know you have to go so now i'm i do dag nabbit i know but you know Sorry. what's great we're coming back we can continue this conversation <laughs> again and again and again and again all right, so, so tell tell me like a bottom line for you from this week, and I'll try to do a bottom line, and then we'll... What did I learn today? Or just a bottom line of like what you take away from the first season, too. I thought I just did that. <laughs> well, but I mean, a way to bring this one back to a close, because I feel like we just opened up all these cans of worms and then just are leaving them there. But isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? We we that's yeah. our job. We open up cans of worms and we leave them open, and then we come back. Oh my gosh, maybe that's what I'm talking about doing with that guy. 
Well, it is. Like, instead of leaving the worm can closed so that it doesn't get in the way and make things messy, I'm opening it up and saying, hey, I mean, that, I think that's kind of what I, what I learned, that, that because the idea of having an argument with someone, all right, mm-hmm. which is usually final, yeah. No one generally learns anything from that. You go away with your own ideas, and then the other person goes away with the same ideas that they had. So and they it's... go away. And, and what we do is, me and you, we've been opening up cans of worms, not closing it. Because racism is an open thing. It's It's like something that's been around for thousands of years so it's not something that me and you are actually going to settle right now and there's right. always issues that come back to the same thing and right. and really you're talking about fight or flight too like when you get into an uncomfortable position you can run away which is leaving the worms closed and not talking and, about and it and we're not running away because hopefully people are growing with us right or you can fight which is have a you know big you argument and then you both get more dug into your place and of course we don't mind because our place is the right place but (laughs) but 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 it doesn't promote change necessarily and that there's something that isn't running away and that isn't And, and let's be honest our target market or the people that are listening to us it's the choir we're preaching to the choir i I don't know i don't know that that's 100 percent true I, think I, I don't think racists are, are. I don't think people don't want to be racist and are listening to this. That's there for we sure. go. And so, and so there's certain people that tools. are growing, that yeah. are, but they want to grow. It's yeah. just like no one who enjoys being messy will go to a Stephen Covey. Uh, I read every single Stephen Covey book. There's no way in hell that you don't ever I did. don't ever tell anyone that you did that, or I they'll just, all stop going. <laughs> I don't read them now. That is great. That is the meanest thing I think I've ever said. There. You there just was a time bankrupt in my that life company. When he gave me every like like he was something so concrete that I could hold on to. Look, if I do these seven things, my life will be complete. I know, but it didn't I, work though. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe it didn't work because you were, you are, you found yourself. You're not really messy. I just, you, you work with what you, yeah, okay. (laughs) Can of worms. Can of worms. Leaving it here. We talk about it. Our doggone catchphrase, uh, messy situation. What is it? Messy parts of relationship. We're, oh, we're we're finding the mess. We are. And we're diving into it. We are. And if you want a bigger dive for this week, definitely go to uubloomington.org to the archives for January 19th for both Maureen's sermon, but also in the afternoon, you can hear Jada B's amazing talk on dismantling white supremacy. And it is a must listen, I would say. So, uh, and both of those are available in their archives and we will link to them in the notes for this podcast so thank you don thank you amy thank you kevin thank you kevin (laughs) this episode of my racist friend is a production of the bloomington center for connection 
an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKee, LCSW, took place in Bloomington, Indiana on Saturday, January 24, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. I'm sorry. Are you, Lord, is this I on tape? I don't even know where to start with that. Is this on tape? It, it is, but that won't make the podcast. <laughs> Good. That won't make it. <laughs> Good. Oh, oh boy.